This is a Crow's Nest podcast. Hello, and welcome back to Damsels Who Discuss, almost at the name of the wrong show. Hi, <laughs> I'm Wake. I'm Alexia. And I'm Gally. And we're going to talk about Disney movies. Disney. 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 What? I've been watching a lot of YMS and Adam and Pals lately, so I'm probably going to be recycling a bunch of their jokes. Because <laughs> that's what you're supposed to do. Also, I'm sorry I keep looking around. I I have a blanket in here somewhere. I can't find it. Oh, it's underneath this hoodie. Never mind. It's just really just right behind you. Yeah, right behind you on the chair that you're sitting in. Uh, uh, absolutely that. And we're just going to go right on by that. Listen, at least you're cozy now. <laughs> I am cozy. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, greetings, friend. How are you? It's hot here. Every every day in Texas has been over 100 degrees, but the real feel has been bananas. Like today, the real feel is supposed to be 117 degrees. Ew. Right? That's so, illegal. That should be illegal. It, it should be. You'd, you'd hope that it would be in its own way. Ugh. Climate change aside. <laughs> Climate change aside, uh, pretty good. Uh, the it's again, like I said, it's just it's been so hot. So mm-hmm. practicing for derby because we practice three times a week has been kind of a struggle. Just we practice outdoors. Yeah, and you know, even though practice starts at like seven o'clock when the sun's going down, it's still like hundred. The real feel still like a hundred plus. It's still super humid. Um, one of my teammates almost collapsed from heat exhaustion yesterday, and another one, you know, unfortunately had to almost keep going aside to throw up and you know people get to I mean, it's just so hot it's so oppressively hot oh my gosh i am so sorry about that <laughs> yeah i know it's like when you're saying how are you it's like hot's almost an acceptable answer considering how hot it is i think yeah it absolutely <clears throat> is how are you well i'm burning in the fires of hell right now but i guess mentally i'm kind of here <laughs> <laughs> basically but yeah other than that like not a whole lot's really going on just um i have to give the dogs a bath so i'm I'm sure that's about to be really i know the face it's it's and the the weird thing not even weird but like these dogs leto and princess are not inherently difficult to bathe like they're not constantly trying to escape or anything and they're also not 200 pounds or whatever but they're dogs they don't want to they don't you know they kind of sit there and look at you gloomy the whole time you gotta bend over it's a thing yeah of course they're they're upset that you have to do it in the first place yeah, I who has <laughs> oh, I believe that mm-hmm. I who have a who has a cat that cat. I don't even want to try mm-hmm. <laughs> um, cannot right. totally commiserate. But what I can say is uh, I did bring in my cat's uh, blankie, mm-hmm. which is a blanket that is very fuzzy on one side and on the other side has like um, uh, the same material that you would find on a sleeping bag, and he absolutely loves it. And apparently that's all he needed because he has now decided to snuggle into the blanket itself. And I'm sure I will be hearing some nice kitty snores as the day goes on. That's adorable. Oh, it's so cute. (laughs) These two don't, I don't know if it's just because they're really, really hot or if again, because they're dogs. So maybe not quite as inclined for it. But I mean, like, I'm looking, where, like, Leto is in the hallway right now. He's not even lying on the mat. He's lying on the just like the floor, on the hardwood. But again, it's like, is it because it's cooler down there? Entirely possible. 
I bet it's that because that's yeah. that's the other thing about my cat. He will overheat himself mm-hmm. in this blanket and then just get out and he will just go lie in the middle of the floor. I just sit there and be like, just Happening. cooling off. Yeah. So yeah. I'm sure that that's what Leto's doing. <laughs> Probably because Leto's a black dog. So when we do go outside, especially if, it's, if he's in the sun for any measure of time, it's just like, boom, it's directly on him like a beacon. Princess, on the other hand, has all that natural fluff and insulates. She suns. I believe that. I find that bananas. She's just be like, I'm just going to go lay in the sun in this literal 100 degree heat. What? Yeah. I... Being covered in fur is not something that I can relate to or ever Uh-oh. understand, but it seems no. to have some benefits and a lot of downsides. Yeah. I, in the same way that I'd never want to wear a mascot suit, it just seems like oppressively warm. Yeah. I'm like a high maintenance. Yeah. Ugh. Nope, I was going to bring something up that would be a t- <laughs> I was going to bring up fursuits, but I don't want to actually go into a discussion about fursuits. Well, and- I guess instead of talking about furries, do we want to talk about Disney uh, Disney characters? Yeah, let's go ahead and do that. What what movie are we discussing today? So we are discussing Saludos Amigos. Saludos which- Amigos. Which translates to, ah, that's good enough, (laughs) which translates to greetings, friends. (laughs) And this is an elementary school education film disguised as a feature-length cinema experience. This is the type of thing a sub for Spanish class would pop in to keep the kids quiet while she reads her romance novels. It came about because Disney needed to put out something while many of his animators were fighting in World War II, and the U.S. government was willing to fund propaganda to keep our borders Nazi-free for another few years. You see, it just so happened that Nazis were gaining favor in Latin America, but what's more popular than Nazis? Mickey Mouse. Or, I guess Donald Duck, because Mickey doesn't actually appear in this film. That's true. So... The U.S. government decided that the best way to keep our southern neighbors out of Hitler's grubby little hands was to give Walt Disney and several of his composers and animators a paid trip to South America with the promise that they would produce a cute movie that's so cute, everyone will forget about old Adolf and his terrible paintings. (laughs) Okay. Hopefully your dog didn't protest that. (laughs) I don't know what he was protesting. Yeah. Trying to figure that out. But from what I can tell, this was actually a success. At least according to the U.S. government, this goodwill ambassador of a film did help keep Latin America mostly Nazi-free. Or maybe the U.S. just doesn't want to admit that they spent a ton of money to fund a 40-minute film where a pantsless duck gawks at the local llamas. (laughs) The movie itself is four bite-sized shorts featuring mostly recognizable Disney mascots visiting different regions in South America with some live-action shots thrown in to give just a whisper of context to the whole thing. We live vicariously as horrible tourist Donald Duck as he stumbles his way through Lake Titicaca and Rio de Janeiro in two shorts that bookend the film. We also learn that apparently birds hate pants regardless of region, as we're briefly introduced to Parrot and future star of the Three Caballeros, Jose Carioca. Do you want to pronounce that correctly? Uh, where is this? Jose Carioca, the name. Oh, the uh of the parrot. Yeah. Jose Carioca. There we go. Voiced uh, by he... Jose Patrocino Oliveira. Yeah. 
who tolerates Donald in only the way a polite local who understands your language better than you can. <laughs> we meet an illegally adorable plane that delivers mail across dangerous mountains in Chile in what is probably the most useless short in this whole thing. Like, I don't think this short tried to teach me anything at all. So it just, it feels weird. Uh, and we also get to watch Goofy cosplay as a gaucho in Argentina and smoke. Goofy smokes, it's canon. Now we know. Saludos Amigos, in the great tradition of Disney animated classics, also just ends awkwardly. Yeah. Like the summary. It really does just fucking end. It seems to be a trend of these earlier movies where they're just like, bye. Yeah. They're <laughs> just like, all right, we're, we've said what we need to say. We're done. Bye. <laughs> we don't need to close it. <laughs> Jesus. I... The first thing that I found interesting when watching this is that this is supposed to be like a goodwill extended mission to, you know, <clears throat> South America, Central and South America. The intro song's in English. Mm -hmm. Completely. I mean, I mean, it has a couple words, saludos amigos in it, but like for the most part, the song is in English. Yeah. I thought it was an interesting choice. It's kind of interesting just the way that this whole movie is put together because... Agree. If the point of it was to... um convince latin american folks that maybe don't support hitler and the nazis <laughs> it's just weird that they make it so uh so much more of a hey americans look what latin america has in it like it's it's just it's focused more towards the u.s it has like th such these ridiculously pedantic like the whole thing is so very like <laughs> like oh look at those little people in their not american country yeah, I forget what the exact line was, but I did write down, like, at one point the narrator sa narrator says strange and exotic music. Yeah, their like, music the is beginning. strange and exotic. I wrote that down verbatim. Yeah, and it's, like, it's different than what you listen to. That's not really strange and exotic, but, but this is definitely the time period where anything that was not American was exotic. I was about to say, though, that exotic has a bit of a problematic I, like I don't even know how to explain what I'm trying to explain it has like problem it's not even like the word itself is like the word exotic is not a bad word exotic is not a, a swear but it's not I'm googling this to figure out what is it here we go it's like exotic is not a compliment yeah it's othering it's basically saying well you don't look quote-unquote normal like I do Exactly. It's like, I was just trying to get better words in here, but yeah, it's exactly that. And it's not just saying you look different. It's like done in a specifically fetishizing. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's always done in either a fetishy way or a really like, pe again, pedantic, like patronizing kind of way where it's like, oh, they're so exotic. We're just yeah. basically just saying, oh, I, I just don't get it. It's, isn't it cool? But I, oh, I just don't get it. Those, those weirdos. Yeah, exactly. Um, It's, it's definitely very, uh, fetishizing and also very like like you were saying just i don't know i don't get it it's not my thing Look how exotic it is i also absolutely love that the first of all the narrator is like the most racist person i've ever encountered and second of all he says something along the lines i didn't write this one down where he's like the young boy has noticed the tourist's crude sign language like he is signing up his nostrils he is in his face He's basically punching him with his signs. Of course he yeah. noticed. If someone was waving their fingers in my eyeballs, I'm pretty sure I'd be like, oh, there you are. 
Like, yeah. Hi. <laughs> and and so like what you're talking about is our first short um, where yeah, we sorry. have Donald uh, visiting Lake Titicaca. And Donald is, I also wrote this down. He was, he, the narrator said Donald is a celebrated American tourist. I also wrote down that Donald is very high. Yes, he is. Yeah. Because um, that's the thing. Uh, you will probably get elevation sickness mm-hmm. if you visit, what is it, Peru and Bolivia? I'm not it. about to say anything about the geography because I don't know anything. Oh, yeah, I was trying to figure out where Lake Titicaca actually Same. was. Um, yeah, because I believe it's on the border. I love how Google just says it's in yes. South America. Borders of Bolivia and Peru. Yeah, and so because of that, um, there's a lot of places around where you can get cocoa leaves mm-hmm. to help deal with the nausea that you're experiencing because of the elevation sickness. Cocoa leaves are unprocessed cocaine. But totally. it's not going to affect you the same way cocaine is. It's kind of the same way that, like, if you ate a leaf of a marijuana plant, you're not going to get high. Right. <laughs> because, fresh off the yeah. vine. Like, you just pluck it off of there and chomp it. It's probably yeah. not, it's like, A, it's not going to taste good. And B, it's not going to do anything for you. Yeah. But that's exactly what they what they do um, in you know, Peru and Bolivia and those areas where they have very high elevation. So, obviously, they don't mention it in the film. But donald was would have been a lot cooler if they did would have been a lot cooler if they did legit that uh they so they run into this kid that he is rudely signing in the face of and this kid has a llama that i can only assume went on to become beyonce's choreographer yeah that llama has such a badonkadonk that llama llama. (laughs) a plus sketch because yeah that llama can twerk each cheek individually. Mm-hmm. Just dum dum dum. Can't don't we all wish? Don't we all wish that we I could really, twerk as well as that llama? I agree, and I'm also really offended that the description in the Wikipedia for this segment, which is simply called Lake Titicaca, mm-hmm. is in this segment, American tourist Donald Duck visits Lake Titicaca in Peru. In Peru, I could have just read this and meets some of the locals, including an obstinate llama. That in no way addresses two major things about this film. One that the narrator called it a llama in he the whitest way yama. possible. <laughs> it's not like he was pronouncing it like a, a native. He's like, or yama with the with the you know dialect. He was like, a llama or a yama, don't talk. Uh and number two, that is not an obstinate llama. That is a llama opposed to poor quality dancing. Yeah, there's there's kind of a funny little sequence in this uh where the llama tamer i don't know what to call the boy who originally owned the llama is playing his flute and the llama's doing a little dance like he's doing chains. playing his flute in the style of a classical piccolo prodigy by the way yeah yeah it was, it was <coughs> apparently amazing yeah. and uh then he hands the flute to donald along with all of his clothes which he trades with donald which i just realized that kid did keep his no, pants. No, no 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 they didn't they didn't trade clothes they traded costumes Ah, uh, yes, of course, because costume. everything here is referred to as a costume. The clothes that we wear are our costumes, I guess, for the public. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> just just think about that for a second. Um, but he, th- this kid gives his flute to Donald and is like, here's your ride. You get this llama. 
um, you control it using the flute. And Donald doesn't understand the traditional music, so he just plays whatever he wants. And the llama seemingly twerks against their will and is very angry. And is doing like a hot shoe shimmy there with his feet. Just like, they said it's a jitterbug, but it's like it was not a jitterbug. No, it was a jittery llama. But yeah, that llama is obstinate. A jittery, a yittery yama. A yittery yama. Yeah, and then despite their clearly less than stellar introduction, they take a Looney Tunes expedition on a rope bridge to Cusco-topia. Yes, yes. One thing I really liked about this film is we get to see a bunch of the animators' like drawings and sketches. Yes. Um, and they do a bunch of sketches of llamas earlier on. One yeah. of those llamas looked like Cusco to me. They did. And then they added accessories, which is, you know, yeah. the thing about... I, mean, <laughs> I love I a that, llama with glasses. <laughs> I do like a llama with an accessory. I had a pair of pajamas, and I think I still might have it, that has llamas just to have, like, scarves and glasses and stuff. Nice, nice. Mm-hmm. Fancy llamas. Fancy llamas, indeed. Yeah. And then, like most great Disney shorts, this film just, this one just kind of, like, ends and segues us back into another live action. And I know what they're trying to do mm-hmm. is to, ironically, illustrate, even though they're using a live action in a particular sense, but they're trying to illustrate the transitions between, like, going from here to there. So it's like, I understand what the attempt was, but they did nothing to sort of convey distance being covered does that make any sense yeah because what these what these like little interstitials are um between the animated shorts are parts of of essentially a documentary of the goodwill tour that the disney crew went on so we actually get to see these really interesting live action like time capsules of the 1940s narrated by the most racist dude i i could have picked yeah yeah narrated by the exact same guy who's narrating this whole thing yes yes so I think the the short between uh, this Donald experience with a llama and then our next one is them on a plane doing sketches, mm-hmm. which are really cool sketches. They are. They're really that's, neat. That's probably one of the high points of this. And yeah. um, they talk about, they essentially do like a tiny little thing about character design, but they don't really go over it too much. They just no. basically say an artist thought of a plane and now it's a character. <laughs> Which is, you know, it's basically like they tried to describe the whole concept of um, uh, character creation and storyboarding in three seconds. Yeah. Which you can't really do, but then, like, the result is that this entire thing looks super disjointed. So we go from mm-hmm. a little, so like, going literally just to the beginning, we get this live action clip in, I believe, Peru. Mm-hmm. Um, again, overlaid by, like, the most ridiculous commentary. And then we go into an animated section in the same place. So it kind of makes sense to tie the two together. Which, by the way, I forgot about a note where uh, the narrator says there's two types of people. People who walk into the wind and people who walk against it. And it is just two one person leaning super far forward and one person leaning super far back. I don't understand. I, yeah, I mean, I think <clears throat> I think that what that was supposed to be was the person leaning super far back was like, I think it was a woman who was like holding something and transporting something. Probably. It's definitely very much a racist take on look at those women who are stacking things on their heads like pots and, and bowls and things like that mm-hmm. and how they have to lean to keep their balance. 
At least that's what my assumption is with that. That one. was my guess. And then also like the, the men with the loads on their backs. Yeah, exactly. But at least that animated segment was sort of tied into its location. And then we immediately <laughs> go to this live action segment that just mostly takes place on a plane. And then we go directly into this very strange animated segment about a plane. It, it yeah. feels very disjointed. And then this segment is called Pedro. And yes. what I wrote was the pitch for this was cars, but with planes. I thought it was, who did I think it was? I didn't know who. I thought it was a, like a, a plane. JJ yeah, the plane. Sp- JJ the plane. Yeah, you specifically said a plane name. Yeah, yeah. I was like, that looks just like this other cartoon plane that's far more. I'm going to Google this. JJ the jet plane. So I'm not crazy. This is a real thing. Yeah. Holy shit. Some of these characters are upsetting. Sorry. I just Googled this. And um, if you Google it and then scroll down under characters, it tells you, you know, their names. There's someone named Herky, Brenda Blue. And then there's a character named Tuffy. And Tuffy and Revan Evan look scary. I mean, this whole thing looks horrifying. This whole thing does look horrifying. I am sorry I brought that up. But the point I was making when I said that was, yeah, the face you're making is accurate. Uh, agree. But the reason Wait, I brought it up with was, faces and not cute face. These are like, this is like when someone decided to do some weird, like man on the moon face shit with planes. But um, it's this fairly generic sort of cutesy little plane thing. But But again, to me, this has nothing to do with south america yeah the previous the, one featured some of the clothes on like the llama and the music yeah the so the previous one was kind of interesting because it kind of tried to teach us a little bit a little, about yeah. about peru about what's going on um where where donald specifically visits this short in particular is literally just a baby plane lives with his mama and daddy plane who deliver mail across the uh, across uh, the mountains between um, Mendoza and I'm forgetting the name of the other Santiago. Place. Yeah, Santiago. And uh, Daddy Plane, who's the only one who can apparently deliver mail because Mommy Plane has high. I don't remember even what it oh, is. He, he because a Daddy Plane is a strong male plane, and Mommy Plane yeah. is a mid-sized female. With yes, high yes. Oil pressure. Yeah. Mid-sized female planes, as we all know, are stay-at-home mom planes and uh, cannot carry or do literally anything. So instead, what happens is daddy plane gets sick and the only person that How does can an airplane go- get sick? Right? He had a head cold. Um, <laughs> and the only person who can really, deliver I the mail... he had a broken wing. No, no. It says <laughs> that he had, like, a, a, he, it basically said he had a head cold. I... Um, Sorry, going. No, oh, I missed that entirely. <laughs> I thought I thought it was like he like broke his wing. I was like, ah, of course, a normal <laughs> thing for a plane. <laughs> uh, so of course, what happens is this little baby plane has to be the one to deliver the mail. This baby plane is the size of like a piggy it's... bank, by the way. Yeah, so small. Yeah, so small that like they can't carry the mail within them. Um. Oh yeah. Which ooh, one thing we have to point out. In this short, we see that the baby plane goes to plane school, and hanging in the plane school is a skeleton of a plane, (laughs) and it has a tailbone and a rib cage. Like, 
human bones. I've also just made the connection that the skeleton in the classroom fits in the building. Therein for it is a baby skeleton plane. No, it's a baby plane it's skeleton. Baby. <gasps> oh, so we watched this together and we yes. made a joke about how um, there was another son that got lost. <laughs> we found the other son. <laughs> no! Because, <laughs> yeah, these parents... We're going to get to that in a second, but first I want to get to the incredibly weird journey, because the big the big conflict of this is that, they don't call him that, but Chernoborg basically is back. Yeah. A mountain demon, and by mountain demon, they just mean an angry looking mountain that has thunderstorms, and they're like, oh no! As though it's done something to them. Yeah. Besides exist and not, like, move. It's just an angry old mountain with a face that makes him angry and old. <laughs> so he runs into that, and the conflict of this mountain is that the mountain, like, he wakes up the mountain, and he wakes up the mountain because he is chasing a bird that got up in his face and made the weirdest clown horn honk you can imagine a bird making. Yeah. It was just like, ah! it was so weird. So, of course, uh, not JJ the jet plane, Pedro, Pedro. <laughs> I was like, who are you? Pedro. Pedro chases this bird because what the fuck? I think it was trying to make sure that it wasn't like bugged or something. Like, I mean, if this... a bird honked in my face, I would go find that bird and honk in its face too. Yeah, I'm talking to you, Canadian geese. Fuck you, geese. But also the sound this one made was particularly bananas. Yes. Um, And that's the whole big conflict here is that the mountain wakes up and is just basically who disturbs my slumbering. B-5-O-Fum. I smell, I smell the, the blood of a tiny plane. plane. Yeah. A tiny plane. A tiny mail carrying plane. And I'm just like completely blown away with the fact that it's like, okay, so this mountain just like wakes up and there's a storm. And then for some reason, as you mentioned, this plane can't carry the mail inside of it. He is carrying a messenger bag on one of his wings with the mail in it. Yes. But he didn't appear to have refueled on pickup because he runs out of fuel. When was he going to run out of fuel on his regular journey? Because that implies to me he was not prepared to make that full full thing. No, I, I, and, and, you know, even though he went to plane school, uh, it didn't seem like he learned ground anything. School. Ground school. Ah, well, that was the problem. He didn't learn how to fly. Yeah. He learned how to park. Yeah. I... But yeah, he has the messenger bag and he has to, so he basically has to go to Mendoza, pick up the messenger bag that's just like on a windmill or something for him to pick up. <laughs> yes, it's it's just on a hook somewhere. And then he has to just kind of lightly carry it on his plane shoulder, which is his wing, back yeah. across the mountains, across the exact same path. He loses fuel because he's a tiny little idiot and drops <laughs> Out like, of the all air, the way. all out of the way, or yeah, all, all the way. And then the narrator is just like, "Well, I guess he's dead. Let's go check in with his parents and see how they care." And his parents, by the way, who are also airplanes, are standing motionless on the tarmac with their lights on, just looking out in the distance, like wide-eyed, I... like our our son is gone. But where, where, what will mail? What will happen with the mail? And also, should we look for our son? No, no. no. Let's just wait. Maybe he'll show up. And it's a Disney movie, so the kids can't die, but the parents can. So the kid yes. actually plane shows up. 
hooray, look at that. Pedro somehow completed his mail delivery journey. Um, we don't get an explanation, by the way. And not only do we not get an explanation, the narrator even basically says, like, don't ask me how it happens, which is such an interesting narrative cop-out. That is such a cop-out. That's 100% Disney being like, we have 10 minutes to make this thing. Let's make the plot as like light as possible. It almost would have been better if he just went, I don't believe it. It's a miracle. And just moved beyond it. Yeah, exactly. Like the narrator should have been more of like a wrestling narrator where they're just amazed at everything that's happening. <laughs> yes. I don't need you to speculate. Yeah. Um, but what what was this journey all for? One postcard just saying, hey, I'm doing well. I hope you are too. Cool. That that was nothing. Um, it did bring up a big question, though, for me, which is how do planes age? Your A plus question because at the very beginning they even say like maybe he'll grow up to be a big play like his daddy is it like robots the movie robots where you just swap out your parts that's what I was thinking you just get your parts replaced until you age yeah and look you get like your, an adult you get your big boy then you get your teenage then your young adult and then your adult parts you just yeah. keep keep flip swapping and I guess if like your grandfather parts are like all of our commercial airplanes right now which is put together with gum and band-aids so they have a they have a population crisis in airline is what, is what you're telling me uh they actually do this is a joke for you know all of the airline people out there and the fact that you all know how crappy and <laughs> in bad condition all of the planes are that we fly on dude it's hysterical <laughs> just comparing like the same planes like i've i would I, I almost bet in some cases i was like i'm betting i was on this plane 15 years ago probably on this plane you kind of want to like scratch your name next to a seat like on a on a tree or something (laughs) be like i just want to see if i'll see you again they you you wonder though because there's not an infinite fleet of planes no they're just repairing the same ones over and over a hundred percent that's why it takes so goddamn long to take off because they're like quick we have to duct tape the windshield again well, you know what didn't take long to, to like bring somebody from Texas to Argentina? What? Our next short, which was flying goofy from Texas to Argentina. But uh, before Gaucho that, goofy. there was like an interstitial, which we should talk about. I just wanted to make that joke. <clears throat> I It was a good joke. And I do agree that we should talk about this interstitial because it's one of the more interesting ones. Um, it features a lot of music and dance in it and emphasis on the culture. This was the first, um, there was a little bit in the first live action where they kind of go into the boats, but that, took, that again was about a four second thing where they're just like, and that is a boat. And then they move on. Um, and in this one, they're actually like the pants or well, I don't remember exactly what the terminology they use was, but they actually broke down. A the lot of lifestyle, yeah, and the vocabulary and the termo- terminology, and not in a, not always in the super botanic way that it can be. Where it's like they don't, or they weren't like these funny looking hats are called sombreros. They were just like the hat is called a sombrero, which is you know I was almost impressed <laughs> considering <the> <laughs> what had come before. <laughs> yeah, honestly, like it was, it was really cool to be able to watch this. Um, yeah, and not totally have it feel like they were just making fun of the quote-unquote exotic and strange culture 
Yeah, it felt much less ex- exploitative and much more educational. And I could say the same thing about the short. We were, as you said, we were watching together and you said, as it started, you were like, this is one of my favorites. And that got, and that was, you know, I had never seen this before. So I was like, oh, okay. I usually am a big fan of goofy shorts. Yeah. There are some that don't land as well. I mean, obviously there are some that, you know, it's not for everybody, but by and large, I do like goofy shorts. And I think that part of the reason I really like this one is because the comedy, like the physical comedy is still done in a way that's extremely true to Goofy and his character, but doesn't make fun of the culture. It makes fun of like normal goofy. funny yeah, or just normal yeah. funny situational stuff. Like um, there's a part where they show in slow motion him throwing the bolas to lasso an ostrich. And they show it in slow motion, and the ostrich is running in the most ungainly, panic face way. And then they zoom back to Goofy, who is bouncing up and down like a balloon. And then you have the horse who's making some incredible expressions and also hop skipping around. Like, you're not making fun of anything related to the culture. You're like, look at these weirdos mm-hmm. running around. Yeah, it was. Uh... Like I I I would th- I would say if you want to watch one short of the four shorts that are in this film, I would recommend El Gacho Goofy because yes. that one is just a good mix of like you said education, but not punching down education, mm-hmm. and just silliness. So it's it's kind of like I think that that's the one that kind of stands the test of time. I agree, um, especially because now they left in the smoking Goofy because they they censored it out yes. for the whole video release. And they added it back in. (laughs) Because the thing about that is, and I think if possible, can we, can we do a brief detour on like smoking in the media? Yeah. I think it's really fascinating. (laughs) I do as well. And I, I, I think that this kind of touches really interestingly. And it's, it's almost like this one mono issue where you can just see changing American values in a very visible way. Yeah. Because, you know, in the 40s and 50s, when these movies were made, smoking was not only common, it was basically expected. Well, this was this was the time when doctors were actually encouraging people to smoke. Yeah. Like smoke cigarettes to have a healthy sized baby. Yeah. I I smoke while pregnant. As you were saying, people would recommend it to be like, this is how you lose weight. This is how you do these things. This is how you have energy. This is how you. So it was not only prevalent, but it was considered mainstream in the way that drinking soda pop is like it's hard to uh, describe because now we kind of equate it ratings wise with alcohol and socially with alcohol and this thing that's for only for adults Mm -hmm. and it's strictly off off limits but as we're seeing here like it was so perfectly normal that it was in kids shows and you know i love the show i love lucy it's one of my favorite shows of all time and speaking of things that do not always stand the test of time there are some of those episodes that's a time capsule yeah there are a lot of stuff does but one thing you'll notice that's really interesting if you don't just watch a collection but if you get like the full thing and like watch a season Mm -hmm. it's people are just lighting up constantly and it's everyone it's desi well i'm using her character names it's ricky it's yeah it's fred it's ethel like and it's not just when they're stressed it's like oh just sitting around like if we were filming an episode oh you know yeah we would just be casually having a cigarette oh you know it would just be how it was how it was and 
it's really interesting that you can see the cultural shift, which I don't think was wrong, by the way. I'm not here to be like, cigarettes are good for you, but like, this was correct. But it's just really interesting to say, to see when it stopped becoming something that was as innocuous as soda and started to become something that was far more taboo, like alcohol. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, just to, just to kind of add on to that a little bit, um, my, uh, my grandmother, uh, back in the 40s and 50s, uh, she was working as a, I want to say she was a lab technician, something like that, but she was working in healthcare. And she uh, definitely told me about how doctors would try to get her to smoke, like the doctors Mm -hmm. would offer her cigarettes and things like that. And she was the weird one for not liking it and for not wanting to smoke. Um, So it really was quite a shift. Yeah. And like as part of that shift to not wanting uh, smoking in the media, there was a there was a period of time, I want to say it was like in the the nineties, where suddenly they cared about how um, cigarettes affect youth. Yeah, actually, this was around the uh, Joe Camel. Do do you remember the Joe Camel? Yes, uh, I do. Controversy? Yeah. I'm... So I'm actually googling this because I I'm trying to remember exactly when this happened. Yeah, so let me see how much I can I can remember myself. Um so the Joe Camel controversy was uh Camel cigarettes used <clears throat> to advertise with gigantic billboards and ads in all types of magazines um this cartoon Camel who yes. was sexy and suave. He was <clears throat> the man who knows everything and he always had a cigarette in his mouth. Yes. And of course, the argument was, well, you're, you're marketing this towards kids because kids care and love all this cutesy stuff because Disney and all of that. Mm-hmm. Whether you believe that or not, it did lead to censorship of smoking and saying we, you cannot market this towards anywhere where a kid will see it. Um, and then along with that, all of our old media, so the Looney Tunes and Disney uh, uh, animated classics, were digitally censored to remove any smoking because again we just don't want to influence kids it's really interesting because i just you know i was you're 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 basically right on you know um (laughs) oh cool here it was i believe it was 1997 after 23 years um joe camel was basically forced to be discontinued because the FTC ruled that it was in violation. And it's interesting um, because I'm, I'm looking up here, just something that somebody, um, well, there's a, uh, this is something that I looked up from Stanford Mm -hmm. and it's saying here that it's like um, internal documents reveal that young people were further targeted within the ads through appropriation of youth slang. And I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm cutting and pasting a bunch of stuff. It's yeah. saying things like uh, another publication of 91 revealed that 91.3% of six-year-old children were able to correctly match old Joe Camel with a picture of a cigarette, nearly the same number of children that were able to match Mickey Mouse with the Disney Channel logo. Yeah. So it, yeah, it was analogous for, um, not analogous, but it was created for um, for children. And it says here, the original French Joe Camel was reported to be a, reported to be a smash because it's about as young as you can get and aims right at the young adult smoker Camel needs to attract. Exactly. This was this was very much uh, corporations knowing exactly what they were doing with their marketing. I'm sorry, this problem. <laughs> Additionally, in order to attract young males, Joe was intended to be hyper masculine, as mm-hmm. evidenced by his face, which closely resembles male reproductive organs. Yeah, he is a dick nose. 
Like, Joe Camel has a dick nose. It says here, reinforcement of masculinity is an important want among a large percentage of males. You know, oh my god, I'm about to turn this into a massive tangent. But... Well, so so I want to give a little bit of context as to please what do, Joe Camel used do, to please wear. Please do, please do, please do. Because he always wore the the hippest, uh, biggest leather jacket. You know, like it's cool black leather jacket. He always had cool black shades on. That cigarette was always just sticking out of his mouth like it was a toothpick. Like it never left. Like he's that, he... and jeans. He I'm scrolling. <laughs> I'm scrolling through literally a two hundred and one images that someone's compiled of Joe Camel, and he's very like like you're saying, very James Bond. Is that he's wearing a leather jacket or just like a cool black T-shirt? He's yeah. playing pool with a backwards cap, tuxes, lots of extremely slick tuxes, playing poker. This you know, this is these look like Miami Vice advertisements. And it's really interesting because, you know, this was clearly targeted at children. And then we did this literal hard 180 where it was like, we can't show smoking to children. And I, it's, it's really interesting because I fall somewhere in the middle where it's, you know, we're seeing this kind of happening now where it's like, you make something off limits and you make it rebellious and hip and what have you. Cause we're seeing yeah, look this at now. Dare. <laughs> dare. And I was also going to say now with Jewel. Yeah, jewel pods and and kids. They're jewel is basically doing now what Joe Camel did then, but it's it, it's really funny. I just found an article here on California Healthline that says Joe Camel was forced out of ads. So why is Jewel allowed on TV? And I'm going to read that later because I clearly didn't read it before this, so I can't go in here quoting about it. But yeah, like I, it is really fascinating. Um, yeah, I. I think I also kind of fall somewhere in the middle. Like I don't, I don't think that it's fair to censor old media where smoking existed or anything um, that was negatively uh, depicted. Like I don't think it's really fair to censor old media that had uh, racist depictions of anything because I think it's important that we have the warnings in front of them saying mm-hmm. this is wrong, but this exists. Otherwise, when you censor it, you're just kind of saying that never happened, and people Agreed. don't learn that it's wrong until it's too late. Agree, but. At the same time, I also don't think that it's right to to you know market towards kids. Like Joe Agreed. Camel was a whole bunch of bullshit to me, yeah. um, and exactly the same. Like I agree with you too. Like when you make something, when you declare publicly something is bad, you're going to get people going. All right, well, I'm more interested in it now now that you said that it's bad. Yeah, and it's you know we were talking about how cool Joe was, and it's like you're equating smoking with that. Um, I did manage to find something here in the California Healthline thing where it says many public health advocates are skeptical of the company. I'm talking about Jewel mm-hmm. of the company's repeated assertions that adult smokers are its target audience. When the company launched its sleek e-cigarette four years ago, I don't know exactly when this was published. Um, it relied on social media outlets such as Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to promote its product and ads that, especially at the beginning, featured playful partying 20-somethings. Yes, the product caught on. Young people helped spread the word to other young people using hashtags like hashtag Jewel. Social media influencers also posted content praising Jewel and amplified the message. And it's that exact same thing, too, where, you know, as the Joe Campbell thing was saying, leaked documents said, leaked documents said. At the time, there was a whole lot of no, we didn't, no, we didn't, no, we didn't, no, we didn't. But if you are marketing, especially to kids, because the, the, the best thing you can do for children and young adults is show someone in the next social age group yeah. doing something cool. 
when you're in elementary school, you see middle schoolers playing with something like a toy or playing a game. That is the coolest thing ever. When you see them in your middle school and you see high schoolers doing something, you have to, when you're in high school and see the college age kids, it's this social strata ladder. So when you're using people who are like 20 and 21, that tells me that you are specifically targeting mid to late teens. Yeah. Especially because you know, when you're using early, early twenties, those are the same people that look like they're high schoolers. And that's exactly it where, you know, if, if I see a 10 year old showing off a toy in a commercial, my personal first assumption is that that toy is actually aimed at five to seven year olds, Mm -hmm. just because that's how, you know, you see it. We made the joke. There's like the tallest kid in the room is the one that leads you around. That's how it is. And kids, that's, that's where it comes from. And when I say kid, by the way, I'm using it very generously to basically mean anybody under the age of 25. Um, yeah. just in terms of media and marketing strategy. I'm sorry to anyone who's that age listening and going, I don't fit in that. But it's like in terms of advertisers, unfortunately, you technically still do. I mean, technically you and I still <clears throat> fall into that too. Oh, yeah. Our 30s. oh yeah. yeah. Well, some of the things we are no longer in because we yeah. are in our thirties, but just you're not wrong conceptually. And I know that this was a massively long tangent about a 12, like a not even four second clip in this, in this. But I also do think that it kind of goes, as you brought up, it brings up these warnings because we got one at the beginning of this movie that was like, this movie contains inaccurate portrayals of some cultures and it can be offensive. And as you said, Mm -hmm. I believe that when we get rid of those, it A, makes people want to search it out even more so they're going to find it. And B, it, it tries to just bury it under the rug. Yeah. And uh, actually, and also to kind of link all of this back to our conversation mm-hmm. about like censoring and all <clears> of that, um, I don't think that goofy smoking in Saludos Amigos is glorifying it or trying to target it towards children whatsoever. Like he's literally a ranch hand smoking like a ranch hand would do. Like it's not, mm-hmm. there's there's nothing like fanciful about it. It's just look at him. Look at him having a cigarette. But it is just really fascinating because we're stuck on that because we live in this yeah. time frame where we've had this whole controversy around uh, smoking targeting kids. Yeah. And the it's like, I know it seemed like it didn't have anything to do with any, anything, but I think that it was especially relevant because, again, we're getting into this era of animation where... <clears throat> now we associate Disney and animation and all sorts of things with, with specifically children. But... At the time, Walt especially was really big on making family entertainment. And to him, family did not mean kids. Family meant whole family. He needs dad yeah. to be as interested in this movie as little Junior does. That, that was his whole thing. He needs Papa Plane <clears throat> and Mama Plane to be just as interested as little Pedro Plane. Even though she's got high oil pressure. Well, she's just a little drunk. It's fine. She really did look drunk the whole time. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's that sort of... I don't know. I think I'm just saying the same thing over and over again at this point, but it's, it, you know, what anything that you presented in this kind of media in this Disney, I love Lucy, wholesome family entertainment bubble was wholesome family entertainment. They were values that the entire family was supposed to like, yeah, would be cool with. So at the time, Goofy taking a drag of a cigarette was just, I bet you mom and dad were smoking right behind the kids in the movie theater next to them. I'm sorry. Next to them. Right. So this was just totally normal. Yeah. And so to to kind of move on a little bit from yep, the smoking, please. because like we said, like it's a very minor part of the short. So the, the rest of the short is is taking Goofy, plucking him from Texas like he like he is a Texan uh, ranch mm-hmm. hand or 
cowboy as they call him bringing him over to argentina to make him a gaucho like they put on the outfits they show him all of that yeah they um uh, the basically you know this i I like these types of shorts because it's the uh narrator and the animators playing with the characters themselves like it's very breaking the fourth wall and uh they you know uh goofy uh dances with a horse um there's which i actually really liked that section by the way i did like that like that was that was fun I actually want to talk about that specific section. Yeah. I want I want you to finish your point first because I don't want to cut you off. I can come back to that. Well, so so I was just doing kind of a really quick summary of this, but yeah. um, there were a couple of quotes in here that I did want to mention. Yeah. One was that the narrator calls it the gay romantic land of the gaucho, and yes, watching Goofy dance with that horse, I was like, yeah. <laughs> it's the it's the origin story of Brokeback Mountain. Yeah. Gay cowboys. Um, They're like, ah, that's where it's from. And then the other was at the very, very end of the short, and I can't remember who says it, but someone says Hasta La Vista. And that caught me off guard because I was like, wait, someone said it before the Terminator in a film? Ah, interesting. Maybe. Yeah. It could be. Yeah, I mean, yeah, at this point, 1940, this is this is the first uh, Hasta La Vista, as far as we know, on American film. If someone knows of a different one, I would love if you could tell me because I'm, I'm not going to go looking for it. But that's cool. Yeah, I'm not going. I'm not going to look up the history of hospitality no. stuff. <laughs> but yes, let's let us talk about the beautiful dance between horse and dog. Between horse and dog, uh, not addressing the people or the animals that were doing the dancing. What I was just going to say was that I actually liked that they incorporated multiple traditional dances, but also you know this exaggerated style of animation again, could have gone really punching below the belt, but it actually worked really well to show the specific differences between the dances. Yeah. And and again, in an educational way, like, you know, they did the silly thing where they were trying to show how this dance Goofy was doing is a lot of lower limb isometric. So Mm -hmm. they showed his pants going away, his, you know, shoes leaving his feet to go do the dance. And then the pants went to do his shoes and that kind of thing where then the pants were dancing separately of him but again it was indicative of how that entire dance basically takes place in the lower extremities you know, you don't need the arms to do it and again it was funny because at the end he was like oh my gosh and leaps back into his clothes and then they go into another dance and it was a clever way of doing that transition but again it was also a clever way of demonstrating this particularly unique technique in a way that's yeah. both funny and engaging but educational yeah and it was it, and it definitely was educational because um if you're familiar with Irish step dancing, like it's the exact same idea. You mm-hmm. keep your upper half comp- as still as possible and your lower yeah. half just goes ham. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, they had, and a lot of the dances they did were partner dances, which is where the horse comes in, which as we, we, uh, I, I think that that horse had the dress it was making bespoke. Custom. Yes. I mean, it had to i i've seen uh many of people from argentina and very few of those people are the size or shapes of horses yeah and i've not seen a lot of argentinian horses and dresses well you don't hang out with the right horses but i mean that's that's fine is this argentina or am i being racist no it is argentina Argentina. it is argentina i'm sorry i was trying to make sure i wasn't doing what i was just complaining about this movie doing no Um, we're in the we're in the right place we're in argentina cool (laughs) I, I think this was my favorite. I liked the last short. I really, really did. I enjoyed it. Um, I would say that, th- though, that El Gaucho Goofy is my favorite. 
Acabella do Brasil is a close second because I thought it was fun and jazzy, but yes. this one was my favorite. It was really funny. Again, I went, I'm going back to that ostrich chase scene because they show it to you twice. You see it in normal yeah. speed. Goofy riding his horse, throws the bolas, gets the ostrich as it's supposed to. And then they do that comedic take again. And then because it's a comedic take, the timing gets all off. And then all three of them are trying to outrun the bolas. And then they are all hit by the bolas. And it's one of those silly, silly things where the humor was all in physical comedy and not in like, ha look at us. We're in a new foreign place. It was once again, look at us, bunch of, look at that bunch of bastards. It's just a bunch <laughs> of nuts, a bunch of nuts running. Yeah. And, um, Unlike the short before us, like we understand, like the before this one, we understand exactly how this relates to Latin America. Yeah. <laughs> it's not just a plane doing its own little thing. No, they're not. It's not just like a guy. It's like, it's not a dog and a horse and a bird going on a journey. It's, you know, goofy with a horse and an ostrich, like the native ostriches to the area. They even showed the difference where they drew a traditional ostrich as we would know it. And then we're like, these don't have tails. And then the tail just went, mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was like, yeah. you know, that's that's kind of cute and kind of funny. You know, you learn a bit. They go over a lot of the vocabulary. Um, I keep referring to the bolas because that's the name of the... Uh, it's like the, the, the little... It's device. basically a... Yeah. Yeah, it's three um, balls attached by, by rope. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think you learn a fair bit. And when they're doing the dancing segment, they introduce each segment um, by the name of the dances. So this was my favorite one. I think that it was the funniest. Um, I think it was the most educational. And I think it was the best done. Totally agree. Um, but again, I think with that, like, that's a really good, like, segue too into to our last one. Yeah, I was also what I was going to say to that was like, I don't want to make it sound like I don't like the last one because I do like the last one. But El Gato Goofy is just so good. Yeah, it really is. And so, so when we move out of argentina we mm-hmm. get into brazil and brazil. i also really liked the interstitial for this one where we get to see the live action because they introduce us to rio de janeiro mm-hmm. they introduce us to carnival or as the narrator calls it carnival. carnival um we get to see what carnival in 1940 <laughs> looked like which is far fewer tits and Honestly, I didn't think people were wiggling as much as they they do now. But I happen puppets. to I happen to think that that's because they were carrying around a giant ass 1940s camera rig, and people were like, "We're definitely being filmed right now," <laughs> dancing their way off of the screen. Basically. Yeah, yeah. This isn't yeah. like being caught in the background of someone's Instagram. They're like, "And dance." Yeah. Awkward um, moving. But I, I just, I will point out, like, there is one frame with one of the scariest puppets. I hate that puppet. You drew it and I hated it. I I drew it and it's less scary in my drawing than it I is. I went, yeah, I went on a, I went on a miniature rant about how there's not a single indigenous puppet in native cultural puppet in any culture, modern culture, indigenous culture, prehistoric culture. I don't give a fuck. There is not a single unscary traditional puppet never seen one i've never seen proof contrary i don't want to hear about oh there's this gorgeous artist on etsy nope i want you to show me a genuine traditional puppet that's not terrifying that would be like showing me a victorian era doll that doesn't have a soul in it you can't exactly and that's what i was going to say like it doesn't matter how gorgeous the artistry is for that puppet that puppet is haunted that puppet will kill 
everyone. Don't know what it will kill, but it will kill. And that puppet, it will kill me. You're right. That's why. No, I wasn't trying to point at you. I was trying to make a point. I was sorry to the viewers. I just pointed at my webcam. What I was trying to illustrate with that was I think we figured out why everyone's dancing so weirdly now. They're like, that thing's gonna kill us. That's gonna kill us. <laughs> that puppet's yeah. gonna kill us. They're like, oh, made eye contact with me, awkward shuffle. Try to smile and be happy. Yeah. Fuck puppets. Just Fuck puppets indeed. But we go into a far more delightful thing, which is another animated short. And I liked this one. It's Acarela do Brasil. And it's um, Portuguese translation is Watercolor of Brazil. And the yeah. entire basically background animation style was done in the homage to a live action watercolor portrait. But no one can watercolor portrait with that detail at that speed. That is like one brushstroke and there's a whole palm tree. But yeah, I appreciate the, the try. I I always love the animation trope where you have like a lovely fat paintbrush with absolutely no paint on it and just one stroke and suddenly there's five colors and it's actually like representative of like a waterfall or a plant yep. or something like that. I, I always love that. There's um, no streaking, no mixed pigments. There's nothing that <laughs> runs when it wasn't supposed to. There's no. no notion that even though you have a full gallon of paint on your brush, it's only going to last one inch. Yeah, or like in in this, uh, we watch them paint the scene of mm-hmm. a gorgeous um, Rio de Janeiro rainforest, and they take one brush and literally just smash the brush against the canvas, and suddenly there's all of these cute little individual flowers. Yeah, they're created from it. It's great, and and, and like then, the final piece is beautiful. It is, and it's like I will say though, I liked it though because even though you know we're making fun of like it happened so fast at least it didn't do this thing that i've noticed sometimes happens and we all know that this is like a silly effect where a person swipes a brush over a canvas and the painting just appears Mm -hmm. at least this had an effort of going through the layers like it would smash the brush and the and the and the flowers appear and then the brush would leave the screen and then it would come back and then it would tap the flowers again and they'd have a bunch of dots on them so it's like i see where the the attempt to show that i am painting a picture quote unquote yeah. in real time I, I i actually really liked that i thought that was kind of fun and then um they draw a palm tree that turns into a bird i like that Dude, that bird gave us a sassy wink we got our that- sassy animal in that bird because he just you you see the palm tree first and then the bird head just pops out and is just like hey there this was my yeah. butt that you just saw drawn yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. exactly it kind of like shakes its little tail feathers and then me <laughs> And then, and then they draw a bunch of bananas that turn into toucans, yeah. which I found also delightful. I did. I enjoyed the banana toucans too. I did. It was cute. And then uh, Donald appears out of nowhere, and even he is surprised by that. Even he's basically like, "What? What? what? Why am I here? Yeah. Why?" Uh, and then he runs directly into Jose Carioca. Yes, our new character, and my only qualm with this is that in the way that they really took the time in um gacho goofy to introduce us to things they're introducing us to portuguese with three minutes left in the film and i i am not mad that they introduced portuguese i'm mad they didn't give it enough time because jose comes in and just starts speaking in portuguese and we it's about 30 seconds in before donald whips out a portuguese to english dictionary that 
we are introduced to the fact that this man is speaking Portuguese. It's also like this section of the film, um, because Jose is, is voiced by uh, a real uh, Brazilian composer and musician, like someone who's actually involved and actually speaks the language. Yes. Um, he's kind of the featured player here. This is the only part in the film where we get all of that language, where we hear a native speaker speaking their language. Everything yes. else is a white guy mispronouncing llama and carnival. <laughs> he wants to go to the llama carnival. I want to go to the the Yama Carnival. It sounds like we sound like the TikTok voice. <laughs> You'll never guess what happened when I went to the Yama Carnival. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, and also just want to point out Jose also smoking. <laughs> he is also smoking. Um, not let that cigar go. <laughs> no, for a hot second. And when it does go out briefly, uh, Donald's surprise at how alcoholic the kachaka is uh, produces a tongue of fire that just lights his cigar for him again. But my final point on the Portuguese is that I, I, I wish this had been the first short. Yeah. Um, I wish this had been the first one and that it had been a little longer and that we had more dialogue between the two. Because again, this is the first time we are being introduced to Portuguese at all. Everything else has been, even if the previous, like, um, the previous short, I believe, again, the it was um, Portuguese as well. But it was one-off vocabulary words where it's way easier to sort of pass something off if I'm just teaching you, like, Konnichiwa. Yeah. Hello. I, I don't need to go into full detail, but if it's the first time I'm going to start speaking to you in Japanese, you might want to give someone more time to actually explain what are they saying? Mm-hmm. What are they talking about? What are, what are they introducing to you? Like we get the, we finally get the, you know, the context clues show us that he's like, come on friend, have a drink with me. But if I didn't speak Spanish or understand Portuguese at all, or have any context clues, this would just be, it's just two people having a conversation in the languages that i don't understand donald duckies and portuguese (laughs) and i i think that that's also the thing like i I believe that the plot is that um jose is is basically like oh donald my cousin my cousin from america like you're you're my my cousin duck i'm going to show you the beauties of rio de janeiro like come on let's go on let's let's let uh, me show you the town town. he says i believe that's what he actually says let's hit the town let me show you the town and you know i too really wish that i had a friend to play me a samba like as we just kind of boogie our way through town yeah having drinks seeing the sights learning about the music giving me the um, spiciest drink apparently in the world but not telling me what it is because i can't speak their language and they can't understand and me because i'm talking like a duck and that's <laughs> yeah and that's the thing that i'm disappointed at is that the previous one was so educational and fun this one was fun and it tempted to be educational but it kind of missed the mark because he could have been something like what is this it'd be like you've never heard of kachaka yeah what I can't believe you've never had no wonder you don't understand the samba spirit like making a joke about like it's oh duh you don't get my traditional dance because you've never had our traditional drink because you're not traditionally from here like making that sort of joke where it's like duh like having that come to come to understanding moment but instead it's just it's presented in that 
I think this for me is where it gets almost a little quote unquote offensive, where it's that stereotype of listen to that local just going off. And that doesn't teach me anything. It just goes to that old joke where he brings out the dictionary. I'm like, that's not, it it fell flat for me again. And I, it's frustrating because it had elements where I'm like, it could work so easily. Well, and I think the other problem with this was, um, we, it feels like <laughs> as as much as we're we're putting down kind of some of these other shorts, the other shorts had more of a plot. Lake Titicaca was uh, Donald and being a tourist and the tourist, you know, doing dumb things and going on this this tourist thing. Yeah, yeah. Pedro was yeah. very clearly a plot. Like that was a plot. El Gacho Goofy all had a plot. Yep. This one was very much. It actually felt like two shorts put together. The first half of it was looking at the beautiful watercolors being painted and us getting that wonderful background. Yeah, and I think I commented when we watched it that it almost felt Fantasia-esque because it it didn't have a plot. It was simply visual-driven. Yeah, exactly. And then the second half of it is like, oh, also, we drew this parrot that we really like, so we need to shoehorn him him in somehow. Let's have him... I've met a few shoehorns in my time. (laughs) I've met a few shoehorns, too. (laughs) Um, And... And literally all it is is just look at Rio de Janeiro. Isn't it cool? Bye. And and like, it just ends. There's no point. Donald doesn't even go back home. (laughs) No. I really wish that they had axed the Pedro short and then taken the time allotted to it and tacked it onto the second half of this one. Give us more time with both Jose and with Donald actually tie the cultures together and will like be a thing where it's like you've never had kachaka or donald be like no i only drink coke or whatever like whatever yeah. like have a real interaction between the two of you like of course you don't get sama donald you've got duck feet where it's like have that actual be like a quote-unquote culture clash but in a way that's not the way that it's done in a way where it's like the goofy thing where it's like the culture clash is that you are goofy yeah in yeah. this world like, we like that's more. the clash um i uh, yeah i totally agree with that and like i do have to wonder i do have to wonder mm-hmm. if uh because of the underlying issue with production for this film okay. because of the fact that that walt disney was losing people to the war effort you know uh, and, and that's why it's what is the first uh quote unquote package film like that's what these are called where there's just a bunch of shorts put together mm-hmm. i wonder if that affected the way that these plots were made and i i really wonder if uh pedro was actually a last minute inclusion where they're like well we only have three done Ugh. i don't know let's just do this one about a plane and somehow wrap it in that's entirely possible it's just it it is out of all of the animated segments the one that is it, it could have taken place anywhere. You changed yeah. the locations and that mountain could have been one of the Rockies. Like this could have taken place in Tennessee. Yeah. Um, it could it's, play, take place at Mount Everest. Like it's, it could, it could take place at Mount Fuji. It could take place anywhere. It's, it's not, it's location is not inherently important. Whereas at least I will give for the other ones, like, you know, even though I was kind of complaining about Acarados do, do Brasil, it's like that definitely took place in Brazil. You can't yeah. move. We can't move that because then you have to change the drink and the dance and changing that inherently changes the music and the score and the plot. For sure. El Gato um, Goofy is the same way where a lot of it was based on its location. That one doesn't matter. Yeah. And so so funny little tidbit that I just found on the Disney fandom about um, Pedro, too. Okay. 
The film also inspired Chilean cartoonist, I apologize for butchering this name, uh, Rene, Rene Reos Botija. Yeah, to create a Condorito, one of Latin America's most ubiquitous cartoon characters. Rios perceived that the character Pedro, a small and capable airplane, was a slight to Chileans and created a comic that could supposedly rival Disney's comic characters. Hmm. So, I, I kind of enjoy that. that a Chilean cartoonist was like, no, Pedro is stupid. I'm going to make something better. I don't disagree because it was one of my least favorites, but... Anyway, before we get into our wrap-up questions, do you have any final thoughts on uh, Saludos Amigos? We've really discussed it extensively, so I think I'm good for All our right. wrap-up questions. So I'll ask, uh, let me start off the first question. Did you did you like it? And Overall, would you recommend it being the, se- the second one, in case you want to just answer them both in one go? <laughs> yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Um Overall, I think I did like it. And I think that part of it was because the short runtime of 40 minutes makes it a very uh, bite-sized film to watch. Um, You know, it's issues aside, I do think that there's a fair amount of pros that that make it entertaining. So Mm -hmm. to also answer the question, I would recommend it, uh, you know, just keeping in mind the warnings at the front and the fact that you could probably just skip the Pedro short. Hard agree. I'm actually going to follow directly with you and say that I both liked it and recommended it. Now, I will say that the I only like the second half. I yeah. think that truthfully, and I'm I'm not a fan of the live action segments. I think that they are way too patronizing. Too patronizing. I think that they are. It's very reflective of the time, but it's sort of they can be educational, but often the tone is very like, "Look at the quaint people." Yeah, it's too um, Jane Goodall Goodallish. A little bit, but I did. I do recommend it because I liked especially those two shorts. El Gaucho Goofy, in my opinion, is an amazing standalone short. I think that if you have the chance to watch it, you should. Um, you can find it. If you have Disney Plus, you can find it here in this collection. Uh, I'm Googling it right, right now, and it also seems to be in a few other um, collections as well. So that one in itself is really good. Nice. And I, my only qualm with Acarelo do Brasil, I think, is that it's too short. I think that if they'd had a little bigger runtime and been able to just get into some of the elements that I can see in there, I would have liked it a lot more. Just because it was too short for me. I wanted I wanted more out of it. I wanted more Portuguese. I wanted more samba. I wanted more of this interaction between these two in the way that they showed us they were capable of doing it in the Goofy short. You but, wanted more plot, basically. I did. But also, again, I just think a couple more minutes because I can see the bones of everything they have. They have this you know, um, character created and voiced by a native Brazilian who is clearly a good singer. Use them for more. Use more of that. You already have the actor who plays Donald, you know, this iconic character who's already there. You have all the elements you need. You had that beautiful style of watercolor in the beginning. I just wish it had been a little longer so that it could have been more educational. It didn't have the time it needed for that, in my opinion. And that's why it's disappointing. Not because it exists, because I'm like, it doesn't exist enough. (laughs) <laughs> hard agree um <laughs> and and i also think that it's funny that at this point i feel like we've been talking longer than the movie itself too uh we absolutely have we've been talking for an hour and 10 minutes hey <laughs> <laughs> we did this last time too if you, okay. if you listen to this then you can definitely watch salute us amigos you can uh i have nothing else so long glamour boys so long glamour boys <laughs> Damsels Who Discuss is created and produced by Crow's Nest's podcast. Your hosts are Gally Articola and Alexia Thurumalai. 
You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash damsels who discuss all one word on Instagram at instagram.com slash damsels who discuss all one word again. And on Twitter at twitter.com slash damsels who disco because Twitter has a character limit. Or you can also email us at damsels who discuss at gmail.com. So long glamour boys. So long glamour boys. (laughs) 